Good morning, everybody. Um, Let me join with uh, everybody else already this morning who has honoured mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers and uh, aunties and uh, really just any woman who, who, you know, influences others and cares for others. We honour you um, today, absolutely. It's a great a great day um, for that. So um, today we're continuing on with our series on Unhurry. Um, and uh, yep, so looking forward to sharing about that today. As I was preparing this week, I was kind of reminded, and I, I wonder if, if maybe you sort of rem- have similar memories of being a kid and just so desperately looking forward to something. Maybe it was like a birthday or something or, or Christmas that was coming and, uh, and you knew you were going to get a present and you were waiting and waiting and waiting. It was so exciting. Um, I remember in particular, there's one particular memory I have. I must have been about 11 or 12. And I was going to be getting a digital camera for my birthday. And this was when digital cameras were so new. Like, none of my friends had digital cameras. They were like little bricks. And uh, the screens were tiny. And the quality of the photos compared to today was awful. Um, but I was so excited. And I waited, like, probably months. And, and, and I, all of my hopes and dreams were being poured into this birthday, into this camera that I was going to get on my birthday. Um, and it was so exciting. And then, as is pretty normal for kids on birthdays and Christmas, as the day finally came and I finally got it, it was so amazing, and it was exciting for a while, and then slowly, it kind of starts to wear off. And certainly by the next birthday, I'm looking forward to the next thing, right? And it's kind of now, you know, I don't, we have, we don't have digital cameras anymore, really. It's all on our phones. So there you go. Um, it's a pretty normal thing for a kid, I think, to experience that kind of feeling. Um, but I have a feeling as well that actually this might not just be uh, something that kids experience. I have a feeling from personal experience, really, that this is something that we, we do as adults as well, really. Um, I think this kind of explains, you know, every year when a new iPhone is released, the lines, you know, just to get a new iPhone. And I'm pretty sure everybody in that line waiting for an iPhone already has an iPhone (laughs) that they probably got lined up for the year before. Um, But here they are again, waiting for the new iPhone. And they'll probably be there next year as well, waiting for the new, the next one after that. Um, This is kind of, it's one of the features, it's, it's one of the problems even of our consumeristic culture that we live in, isn't it? Uh, That we want kind of the new one and the next one and and the best one. The next bit of technology or the next cool experience or the next holiday, if you're like me, or or the next purchase, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it, It is. It's one of the features of our very consumeristic culture in the West. Um, I used to really enjoy listening to a preacher called Judah Smith, and um, and this is his theory. He has a theory um, about this kind of nature of our culture and this consumeristic and, and waiting for the next thing and waiting for the you know the big thing to finally come and that's where their fulfillment would be. And he talks about this and he has this theory. It's kind of kind of dark, but it makes a point. Um, he says that the emptiest day of your life is the day when all your dreams come true. Sounds a bit funny. The emptiest day of your life, the day all your dreams come true. And the reason he says this is because you've been waiting for so long, waiting for this moment, hoping for this moment, maybe even uh, pouring all these hopes and dreams, you know, into this moment when it comes and it finally comes, maybe the, you know, the big promotion or, you know, the big new piece of technology or the the cool new whatever or, or, you know, the big corner office or whatever it is you've been waiting for. And you get there and realize, oh, maybe this isn't everything that I thought it was going to be. 
all my hopes and dreams maybe haven't maybe it hasn't quite you know reached what I was hoping for so this is the product of our never enough culture it's almost as if we sort of spend a lot of time on a hamster wheel trying to reach the prize but never quite making it so this is what I want to talk about today um, in, a, in today's you know, series, or today's talk on unhurry, um, as we intentionally slow to be present to ourselves and to God and each other. Today we're talking about the practice of, of um, simplicity, the, of living simply. And I have a feeling that this might be the most unpopular talk <laughs> of, the, of the series because living simply is just... Uh, it's not that easy. It's not that easy, and it's actually extremely countercultural uh, to live simply, and it's a hard teaching in that way. Um, but as I think we're also going to see, it is something that Jesus calls his followers to, and it is very much a, a spiritual discipline, a spiritual practice. Um, yeah. So, something um, that we don't in my experience anyway, talk a lot about in Western church is how much Jesus condemns the love of wealth. It doesn't condemn wealth itself. It's not about the, the actual you know, possessions or money, but the, the, it's the attitude of wanting more and more and more. It's the accumulation and the constant consumption and that longing for more. There's, there's some things about our culture today in the 21st century that, you know, when we try and look, and what would Jesus say about that? It's, it's not always very black and white, maybe because Jesus didn't really mention it or, or whatever else, but that's not the case when it comes to this. Jesus is so clear, and he dresses it directly um, it, it, numerous times that a love of wealth is not compatible with God's kingdom. One of the places we see this is in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, where Jesus talks about wealth as being deceitful, as in it's not what it seems. It's obviously very appealing, of course, but it's a trap. Jesus uses really strong language like this when he talks about wealth and a love of money, a love of wealth. Uh, but in particular today is the passage we read out just before. We're going to focus on Matthew 6, which is the Sermon on the Mount, um, and one of the things that Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount, all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, is that he often talks about the state of the heart as being more, uh, as being really important, just as much or more than, uh, than the outworking, than the physical things that we do. So this was really different to, you know, what was taught by the religious leaders, the religious people at the time, who cared mostly about obeying rules and, and about actions and living very strictly, you know, legalistically. Um, but Jesus always talks about the heart. Um, so take, for example, we all know Jesus' teaching on adultery in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says that it's not just, you know, the actions that are important, it's not just committing adultery, but it's actually about the heart and what's happening in the heart. It's why we do what we do. This is very often, actually, all through the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount this is Jesus' focus. It's the inside, not the outside. The heart, not just the actions. Because what happens inwardly, often determines what we do outwardly. So Jesus, Jesus is so concerned with the heart. Um, and this is the same as well in this passage that we've read in Matthew 6 about treasures and wealth. So he says, um, in, so from verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on, treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things we treasure reveal where our hearts are. He goes on to talk about this in the next uh, verses um, about the eyes and the, and the lamps um, of the body, saying that, um, that the things that our eyes pursue, the way that we see the world is determined by what is happening inside of us, what's happening in our hearts. The inside determines what we see, what we do, what we focus on on the outside. So to focus our eyes on accumulating wealth on earth indicates that that's where our hearts are, and that's what Jesus is concerned about. So what we see here is that Jesus warns about an attitude of the heart, an inward desire to pursue wealth in general, accumulating and storing up treasures on earth. This attitude, this state of the heart, is not compatible with a life spent serving God's kingdom. In fact, pursuing wealth and treasures on earth is a deceptive path to follow, deceitful. As I was reading and as I was preparing for this sermon this week, I was continually challenged, continually challenged again and again in my own way of life, in the way that I live. Uh, And it just kept hitting me how deeply difficult this teaching is, I think, for our culture, for our time today. This is not an easy teaching at all in our day and age. Um, So no wonder it's not really something that I have heard talked about a lot, you know, in in church. Jesus' teaching on wealth and accumulation, it flies directly in the face of our Western way of life, which is built, which is literally built on accumulating wealth and consuming more. Consumerism and materialism reign in our modern Western world. Literally none of us, unless we have taken a vow of poverty, are exempt from this worldview. From very, very young childhood, we are programmed, I guess, conditioned to consume, to accumulate. This is how our society functions. That's literally how we function. Uh, This is how our wheels keep turning in our society. This is why, um, you know, when a recession comes, (laughs) the government gives us money to go and spend and, 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 and accumulate and consume more because it boosts the economy, right? It means there's going to be more jobs um, so that people can care for their families and feed their families. And that means there's more money to help people in hospitals and through welfare, uh, which that's all good things. That's not a bad thing. But the point is that consumerism consumerism and accumulation is not just something, you know, we don't just do it for the fun of it. We don't just get up and say, oh, today I'm going to be, you know, uh, somebody who accumulates. It's actually something that's so deeply embedded in our way of life on a large scale in our society. It's how we function. It's, it's embedded in our minds as well. We're deeply conditioned in our modern Western world to accumulate and to consume. This is why the way that Jesus talks about wealth is so difficult, I think. It, it goes against the grain of the culture that we live in. This is why it's such a difficult aspect of Jesus' teaching. But as we know... Jesus' concern is actually, it's not just with our outward behavior and our actions, it's with our hearts. So something I have felt helpful is understanding the heart behind our culture's obsession with consumption and, and accumulating. 
So in attempting to understand our Western way of life, a lot of people, um, a lot of people both in uh, a Christian context, in secular context as well, we talk about something called a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset that dominates our internal thinking, the inside in the West. And it kind of sounds a bit funny, I think, doesn't it? A scarcity mindset, because we don't really have any issues with scarcity (laughs) in our society. Most physical things we could ever want or need are available so easily to us at the click of a button if we want, in bulk, you know, if we choose. We live in abundance, don't we? Not scarcity. But what the scarcity mindset is, is the belief inside of us that there isn't enough. It's the belief that there isn't enough, that I'm not enough, that there isn't going to be enough for everyone. Therefore, because there isn't enough for everyone, I'll protect myself by accumulating until I overcome this feeling of scarcity. This is why we live with such abundance, um, because deep within us, we think that there's not enough so therefore, let's accumulate, let's, let's create abundance as kind of an antidote to this feeling. It's kind of how we can control or feel like we're in control of our surroundings. It's why when lockdowns come, everybody hits the shops. Everybody hits the shops to stock up just a bit, even though we know in our heads the shops stay open, or, you know, even when we're locked down, everybody still hits the shops. We did it, <laughs> um, just in case. Just in case, because I'm scared that even if I go tomorrow, everything will be gone by then. There won't be enough for me, so I better go down now. I better stock up just a little bit, um, just in case. And I might, I might even take more than I really need for today, because maybe there won't be enough tomorrow. Never mind that by me taking more than enough for me, it means that somebody else misses out. I need to look after me and my family. That is a scarcity mindset, that there is not enough. Scarcity mindset says, I'm worried that I'm not enough, so I have to try and make myself enough through accumulating more status or or more knowledge or more friends or more experiences or, you know, more social media followers, if you will, or or traveling more or experiencing more, dieting more, becoming more like that person over there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It all comes back to this scarcity mindset is I'm not enough. Scarcity mindset says, I'm worried that I don't have enough, so when a problem comes, I'm not going to be able to cope. So I'm going to need to have more in my bank account. I need to to have more stuff that's going to make me feel happier and more secure and the newest this and the latest that, and I'm just going to keep accumulating until I feel like I have enough. Scarcity mindset is the deep worry that there isn't enough, that I'm not enough, that maybe I will be if I just do this or get that. Maybe then it'll be enough. But the problem is that enough is never enough. It's a trap. I think this is why Jesus refers to wealth accumulation as deceitful, as not what it seems, because enough is never enough. It's a terrible cycle, and we can become enslaved to it. So I think that's why this attitude, this heart mindset, is not compatible with God's kingdom. We can't serve two masters, Jesus says. We can't serve God and money. We can't submit to God, um, God who says that I am all you need, while also being enslaved to a scarcity mindset that tells us enough is never enough. So the antidote, the cure, if you will, and I, I I think actually this is the whole reason that Jesus came, because we actually aren't enough. 
We weren't enough. We clearly don't have all that it takes to save ourselves from the sinful thinking that so easily entangles. But Jesus is enough. And this is why he came. Jesus came because he is enough. The answer to this scarcity mindset that plagues us in the West is not abundance. It's not accumulating more and more and more until finally I feel like I've got enough because, as we know, it will never be enough. It's a trap, seeking abundance and wealth as an antidote to our not-enoughness. That's a term that I have invented. Our not-enoughness. It will never work. The answer to the scarcity mindset is not abundance. It's enough enough. The answer to not having, or not having enough or being enough is not accumulating more and more. It's recognizing that there already is enough, that Jesus is enough. Through him, I am enough and I have enough. It's exchanging that worry that I don't have enough, that desire for more, 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 exchanging that mindset for the contentment in knowing that Jesus is enough. Therefore, I am enough. Therefore, I have enough. Jesus gives us actually this exact answer in the very next part of Matthew chapter 6, and it speaks so directly to this scarcity mindset that plagues us in the West. The worry that I, I won't have enough, there's not enough for me, so therefore I just have to keep accumulating and consuming more and more and more until I feel I have enough. Let's take these words of Jesus and lay that kind of over the top. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers in the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that incredible how directly it speaks into this scarcity mindset? God knows exactly what we need. He knows what is enough for us. So therefore, we can step outside. We can step away from that scarcity mindset. We can choose not to serve the master that is abundance and consuming endlessly. We can choose not to fall into the trap of thinking that there's not enough, that I'm not enough, because we know that Jesus is enough. And therefore, I am enough and I have enough. Our hearts don't need to be fixed on trying to make sure we have enough because we already have it. Once again, in this series, we find ourselves back at that easy yoke that Jesus offers us. Rather than that cycle of never enoughness and the restlessness that comes with it, we find ourselves being offered that shalom peace once again. 
that wholeness and enoughness that only Jesus offers. It's the opportunity to be relieved of the heavy burden of worrying and hurrying and never quite feeling enough. Let's read his words again. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls sounds pretty good. Consumerism and materialism and abundance, it's so deeply entrenched in our modern world. So this invitation from Jesus to lay that down, to not be plagued by the scarcity mindset to the point of just continually needing more and more and more and more, but actually stepping, it's actually stepping into something so foreign in our culture, isn't it? It's so countercultural to live in this way, to be satisfied with what we have, to be able to say, Jesus is enough, I am enough, I have enough. That's a really big call in our world, to step away from that norm, to step away from the chaos of the scarcity mindset, to step away from that internal never-enoughness. But it's a step into peace that Jesus offers. When we choose to trust that Jesus is enough, therefore I am enough. Therefore, I have enough. So I wonder if you've come to experience the enoughness of Jesus. This whole um, series on unhurry, we've been talking about practices to slow down, to be present to God um, and to one another. And we've tried to be really practical. But I think what we've really learned is that Jesus offers us a different way of life. He offers us a different um, mindset that, that's so different to the way of the world. It's, it's one that isn't hurried. It's one that values rest and retreating and quiet. And it is one that is content with the enoughness that Jesus is. So really at its core, this series is, is an invitation. It's Jesus' invitation to us to be satisfied by him. Rather than feeling the need to hurry and worry and never feel that there's enough, Jesus' invitation is to stop and be satisfied by him. Rather than like that hamster wheel cycle we talked about at the start, we're never satisfied with the next thing. Even when those things are good, these are good things a lot of the time. The problem is actually it's internal like we talked about, it's our, it's our hearts, that, that never enough. Jesus offers rest for our worn-out souls and minds. He offers us peace and contentment. Paul talks about this um, in Philippians chapter 4, when he says, I'm not saying this, in writing to the Philippians, I'm not saying this because I am in need, um, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I love how Paul talks about the secret to contentment, like it's a secret ingredient, a special sauce or something, like it's the thing that everybody wants but they can't find, which really is so true today even. Everybody's searching for contentment and peace. What's the secret? Do you know what it is? Paul says, it's Christ who strengthens me. So if this is true, if the secret to contentment and fulfillment and enoughness in our life is actually not accumulating more and more and more, if contentment is actually found in trusting God and trusting Jesus, what does this actually look like? 
What does this look like? What does it look like to live as if Jesus is enough? And therefore I am enough, and therefore I have enough. The practice we're focusing on today, as we said, is simplicity. Living simply as a practice of following Jesus, as an, as an action of obedience to Jesus' command. Um, and saying this and talking about living simply, it's not to say that we're all like greedy Ebenezer Scrooges, you know, counting up all of our money in our storehouses. You know, that's not, that's not what we're saying that we all are. But it is acknowledging that we live in a culture that is obsessed with consuming and accumulating more and more and more. And therefore, it is a good and healthy practice as followers of Jesus to learn to separate ourselves from that mindset, to acknowledge the ways in which we have been influenced, you know, by this mindset and our lives and our habits, and to recognize that scarcity mindset in our own lives, and then to deliberately and intentionally choose a different way, to be countercultural in this way. So this is a practice and a discipline of simplicity. It's choosing to say, Jesus is enough. I am enough. I have enough. So therefore, I realize that I don't need more. It's an outward practice that helps to reorient our, our hearts away from wanting more and towards being content with Jesus. Now, practicing simplicity is probably different for everybody. Um, because we're all in different stages of our life and, and we all have different things going on. So depending on that, depending on our personal tendencies, you know, our habits when it comes to things like money, when it comes to things like buying and, and accumulating in our possessions, so it's probably going to look different. But some general thoughts, some general ideas is it could look like, living simply could lo look like, you know, going room by room and, and culling. Deliberately choosing to live without an accumulation of stuff and clutter. Not, not an easy practice. It could look like being really intentional and responsible with a budget. Cutting down on spending things we don't need. And then buying things only based on need and usefulness. It could look like adjusting your calendar... So rather than you just feeling like you never have time, you're always busy, everything's cluttered on your calendar, it's actually your calendar serves you. They're cutting back to what's necessary and life-giving. Richard Foster, who I was reading this week, he talks about um, being very wary of anything that could lead to addiction in life and perhaps cutting those things out. Addiction comes in lots of different forms to lots of different things, but cutting these things out could be a healthy, you know, choice to live simply. So whatever it is for you, <clears throat> the bottom line is that living simply is learning to live as if Jesus really is enough, and that you are enough, and that you have enough. So what direction can, can we take, can you take, in, in, what step in that direction can you take this week? So I just want to finish this morning by going back to the Sermon on the Mount um, and all through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus paints a picture of this upside-down kingdom, this upside-down kingdom, that things in God's kingdom are very different to the way of the world. Um, in fact, it's usually the complete opposite. <laughs> in Jesus' kingdom, for example, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek and the poor in spirit. They are the ones who are blessed in Jesus' kingdom. That's quite the opposite in the world. So the winners in the world are not the winners in God's kingdom. Jesus is clear about that. It's quite the opposite, actually. 
So I think this teaching about, uh, about simplicity, about wealth, I think it's something that we really need to pay attention to in our Western culture. It's so easy, it's normal even to want to be the winners. Of course it is, the wealthy and the powerful and those living in abundance, that's the dream really of our culture. But Jesus warns again and again against this pursuit. Not because he's against a good time, (laughs) not because he's against us uh, being comfortable, I guess, when we need, but because it's a deceitful pursuit. It's a trap because enough is never enough in our world. But in Jesus' upside-down kingdom, it doesn't matter if you're poor, it doesn't matter if you have as much as other people. Contentment, peace, shalom, it's found in him, in Jesus. He is enough, and therefore you are enough, and therefore we have enough. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for this this opportunity that we've had these weeks to reflect on uh, what it is to be unhurried in our very, very hurried world, what it means to, to keep in step with you, to walk at your pace, Jesus, which was never hurried. God, we just pray um, today as we talk about, that we talked about simplicity, what it means to live simply, what it means to not pursue uh, the things of this world, such as um, money and abundance, but God, to pursue you. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to each one of us just whisper to each one of our hearts, God, what it is this week, this month, this year, that we can be doing practically, God, to place our trust even more in you. God, to realize that um, we are not living in scarcity. We don't need to focus on accumulating and, and trying to have more and more and more. Actually, you are enough for us. Would you show us, Lord, how we can live as though you are enough. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace towards us, God. Thank you for your your mercies, which are new every day. Lead us, Lord, as we become more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.